Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. If you want to support It's Good to Know and the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. In this episode of Ideas That Change the World, Rabbi Manus Friedman talks with Hani Malecki. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Ideas That Change the World, a podcast that I'm hosting together with Rabbi Friedman. My name is Hani Malecki. I'm sitting here again with Rabbi Manus Friedman. And uh, the topic today is the topic of Simcha happiness. Because as much as we have, and we're really, really prosperous in our times, it seems that the whole idea of happiness is uh, something that is a little bit elusive for a lot of people. So I want to start off with a story that happened to me yesterday, Rabbi Friedman. So this was a day from, we don't, H-E double hockey sticks. (laughs) So what happens is in the morning, my daughter goes to one of the girls' schools here, and uh, the bus is supposed to come and it doesn't show up. And we're, my wife is waiting outside for about an hour until finally she gets a message that there's no bus today. Okay, so that's the first great thing that happened on the day. So now, the, you know, I'm a musician. I go to bed late. So my wife is kind enough once in a while to let me sleep in a bit. So now I got to get up. That's number two bad thing that happened. <laughs> Then what happens is, so my wife goes and takes the kids to school. She takes four of the kids, the five-year-old, the three-year-old, the one-year-old, and the 10-week-old. She gets to school and she trips over a stair and drops the baby. (laughs) Okay, where are we up to now? Four, three, not keeping track. She drops the baby, Hatsala comes, everything's okay. But at the same time, she tripped and she broke two toes. <laughs> okay, this is, the day isn't progressing exactly right. So I have to jump into an Uber, come over, pick her up, uh, make sure everything's okay, which it wasn't. Then I uh, drive her back home and I have to take one of the other kids to school now. So Hanchi says, you know, drop me off with the baby at home. The baby's crying and screaming and, and you go take the baby. So then I, so I, I take the baby, I, I take the baby upstairs. I help my wife get upstairs and make sure she's comfortable, make sure everything's settled spend a couple of minutes upstairs, come downstairs to take my other kid to school and have a ticket on my car (laughs) for alternate side parking. And it wasn't yet 9.30 in the morning and all this had happened. So I wasn't feeling particularly great about this day so far. And then about an hour later, I get a call from your son saying, okay, we needed to figure out a topic for today. And the first thing that came to my mind is, let's talk about simcha. Let's talk about joy. And then after, <laughs> and then I'm thinking about it a minute later. I'm thinking, what on earth did I just say? This is, I'm a, why do I want to talk about joy? And it reminded me of something I recently saw over Sukkot, that simcha, b'simcha, apparently this is a word from the Baal Shem Tov, that b'simcha is the same letters of machshava, that being happy is the same letters of being thoughtful, if that's the right word, or introspective maybe. 
And it occurred to me that, you know what? All of these things that ha- have happened to my day, but so what? It, you know, it's, it's, it, it puts a damper on it. But perhaps Simcha isn't really just about the things that happen to you, but, you know, about the way that you approach them and the way that you deal with them. So that's, I think, what we wanted to discuss today is what does Simcha mean? Especially since it's such a large part of of our religion, you could say to be happy to do if do Hashem b'Simcha. I always am, am amazed that when reading, when watching videos of the Rebbe or reading sikhs of the Rebbe, how much the Rebbe talked about Simcha. Almost managed to throw it into, somehow into everything, even if it was just a line at the end. And the question is, what does Simcha mean? How do you get it? And why is it so important? I think in different places, the word simcha is used in very different ways. For example, optimism. Can you call that simcha? Happy people are optimistic. Optimistic people are happy. Yeah. Can they be synonyms? Yeah, I would would think that they're very closely related. Yeah, that's for sure. So simcha could mean optimistic. Simcha could mean simply glad to be alive not for any particular reason or cause, but because a beating heart is happy. Because the alternative is not so happy. <laughs> or simcha can mean enthusiasm, uh, highly stimulated, enjoyable, what we usually think of as happy, dancing as if nobody's watching. <laughs> and, and, and they're all related. Right. So one of the interesting things is we just came off Sukkot. It was last week we just finished Sukkot Simchas Torah. And the theme of Sukkot and Simchas Torah is really to be joyful, to be happy. And one of the things that we do on Sukkot is that we dance on Simchas Pesach Sheva. And of course, on Simchas Torah, we have to dance. And I remember seeing somewhere... Again, I think it was a Simcha of the Rebbe, where the Rebbe says that the Simcha of the Torah is with the feet on Simcha's Torah. That it's not about the head, because when it, with the head, you know, Rabbi Friedman, you understand the Torah a lot better than I do, so that would be a bigger Simcha for you than it is for me. But everybody's got feet, and if you don't have feet, at least you have, everybody has the ability to have some sort of a movement to to enjoy the Torah, and that in that way that everybody is equal. So... I remember by Simcha Space Sheva, just running in the circle, not feeling particularly happy, but remembering that the Rebbe said I have to just jump with my feet. So I'm going to jump with my feet. <laughs> but I wasn't feeling in particularly, particularly happy. So is that Simcha? Is Simcha mean just to act like you be Simcha and to jump and dance and to, or is it something that's, that's actually deeper than the feet? Well, if as you said before, <laughs> be Simcha is the same as Machshava, you weren't happy in your machshava. So. But let, let's talk about, broaden the subject a little bit. People say, complain. There's a mitzvah to love God with all your heart, with all your soul. And people say, how am I supposed to love him? I don't see him, I don't talk to him, so on and so forth. Which is a good question. But the truth is that in the world today, The average person who says, how can I love God? I don't see him. I would like to ask that person, who do you love? 
I have a suspicion. The answer will be nobody. I don't know what love is. Sure, I enjoy certain people because they give me certain whatever. I get benefits. They, you know. But do you really ever, have you ever really loved someone and not because of something? Well, I, I think you have to back that up. Everybody loves their children. I mean, that's the, the, the classic example. That's unadulterated, uncompromised love. So couldn't, why wouldn't they just answer, yeah, I love my baby? In any case, it's very limited. <laughs> love is not a very familiar emotion. I mean, real, the real love. So concerning Simcha's Beis Hasheva, it says, anybody who hadn't seen the Simcha of the, that went on there has never seen joy in his life. Really? <laughs> yes, really. <laughs> when you ask the person, the average person, when's the last time you were really happy? They don't remember. Why? Why do you say that? My sister's wedding, I was really happy when when my... When when my baby was born, I'm, I was really happy. Uh, actually, <laughs> I was thinking about the sleepless nights coming up. I was it was a little bit happy when when my kids give me nachas, and I and and or, or I just see them being just really cute. And that that does bring me joy. So, what do you mean by love, and what do you mean by joy? You're saying that we don't have the real emotions of love and the real emotions of joy. So that means that either you're wrong. Or I don't know what love and joy is. Hmm. <laughs> I think the world used to be, at least from what you hear stories, and I'm, the world used to be intensely emotional. You know, have you have, do you have a fainting couch in your house? A fainting couch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what that people is. People used to faint. It's a couch without arms. Just a surface. Oh, this was in the 1800s? Yeah, to faint on. <laughs> people would faint. I mean, you hear stories in the Gemara, people died from aggravation, people died from joy, from pleasure, from... We, we don't get close to that. Even, I'm not talking about you, but even people who say, oh, by that wedding I was so happy. What, for 20 minutes? And how happy were you? Oh, I got up and danced. That's like people saying, I was so upset I actually shed a tear. Whoa, you shed a tear. Yeah, I got all teary-eyed. <laughs> you call that crying? So we, we, we do live pretty much on the surface. So our emotions are not profound. And sometimes they're just lacking. How did that change over 100 years? I don't know if it's, if it's part of the uh, materialism. We're so we're so caught up on things that are that don't don't have emotions attached to them, and now with the internet and with the with the with, with the computer with the twitters and with we're not connecting to anybody emotionally. So anyway, the point is this: we want to understand what joy is. It's not the same as saying, "How can I get happy." You try to get happy, you'll find some gimmick and you'll, you know, and you'll, you'll be in a good mood for a while. We're talking about the real thing. What is real joy? Like, for example, a person who says, I've lost all interest in life. I don't care anymore. I don't care. 
I don't care if I live or die. I don't care. So last night, in your sleep, did you roll off the bed? When you got to the edge of the bed, did you roll off because you were fast asleep and you didn't care? No, you didn't. Your instinct somehow still wants to live. To protect yourself from a bump. (laughs) So what is the commitment to life? It's certainly a form of joy. So if you're committed to preserving your life, there's joy there. It's not showing. Why is that? Why is survival joy? No, the desire to survive. Why do you want to survive? Because of all the pain in life? I think people just are, I mean, afraid of not, what is, I don't know, you just don't know what's, Life is something you know, and instinctually we're cre- we're created in a way that that even a person who really has given up and and wants to commit suicide, I think studies show that on their way down off that bridge, they haven't second thoughts. We're, gi- we're giving them the benefit of the doubt. Well, some of them live through it. Yeah, and they and and they generally speaking, at least the ones that you read about, are grateful for the second chance. That is true. So all it means So they have given up. They they don't want life, but somehow instinctually they do. Yes. So that means that we have instinctual joy? Yes. That life and joy are synonymous. Let's let's try another thing. What is the source of happiness in the human soul? The source of happiness is pleasure. Tainug. Tainug produces rotsen. Rotson produces um, intelligence. Intelligence produces emotions. So the desire to live, will, the will to live, comes from the fact that it's a pleasure. Which, of course, translates into joy. Not that joy and pleasure are the same thing, but that pleasure produces joy, or joy expresses pleasure. So the very fact that we are committed to living or attached to living, that is a a positive instinct, which is joy. And it's a very basic, raw level. If we start looking for justification for joy, what can I do to make me happy? You're missing the point. <laughs> they say, whoever says money can't buy happiness just doesn't know where to shop. <laughs> or just doesn't have enough money. <laughs> it just doesn't have enough, yeah. <laughs> but, but it is true. If you need something to make you happy, you're obviously lacking in happiness. So the enthusiasm for life is really the beginning of, of all joy. And that's why Ideally, or, or, or in, in principle, by a wedding, by a birth, you're happy because life is happiness and life is now happening. Certainly when a child is born or even when a family begins and they're going to be children, life is happening. Now, here's something that's, de- that's happening or developing in our times, which I think is original and unique. 
the rash of suicides hmm. among successful, happy people. Yeah. So well, here's uh, successful people. Yeah. They're obviously unhappy. They should be. They should be happy. Well, they were until they died. <laughs> if I were to ask a question like this, what produces more joy? The fulfillment of a need or having no needs? Being free of need? I think the fulfillment of the need is, all, is what brings the joy. You know, like the Yalta Rebbe, I think it says in Tanya that, that if you don't have the, the lack of pain doesn't feel like, uh, doesn't feel good. It's just the status quo. So it's a lacking that brings about an emotion, whether it's joy or. So rich people, successful people, and arrogant people should be happier than poor people, humble people, simple people. That's a dangerous concept because <laughs> I think the opposite is true. You think, okay, so you think that the baseline for happiness is having everything or having Need, no needs rather. Right. Because once, once you, you're looking for happiness through fulfillment of your need, it's a, it's a bottomless pit. So when is enough? It's never enough. And, and is it really everything you deserve or is it less than that you deserve? And how, how come other people have more? Even I, I have everything I need, but they have more. It, it, it's just, it's, it, it's a recipe for disaster. So real joy comes from having no needs. Not that you're happy that you have no needs. You're just happy. And having no needs does not disturb the happiness. Once you have needs, you're not happy. If you fulfill the need, then you'll be happy. So your default position is, I'm not happy. And then you try to make yourself happy. Either you succeed or you don't, or halfway or partway. Or it's, it's, it's messy. If you have no needs, your natural joy is unhampered. Now, what creates true joy when you have nothing to hamper it? I'll, I'll explain it, but let's put down the, the facts first. When you have no needs, you have to ask yourself, then, then what's it all about? And you come to the conclusion that your existence is the result of someone else's need. Your entire existence is a result of someone else's need. Why is that an obvious conclusion from the fact that I have no needs, that I must be the, the purpose of someone else's needs? Right. You certainly don't exist for your needs because you don't have any. Right. So you exist for somebody else's needs, namely your creator. In other words, you well, just, I, just I, I, I see the direction you're going, and I think this is going to be really important, so I just want to stay here a second. Why does the fact that I have no needs mean that I am needed? Ah, good, good, good. We're making the connection. <laughs> if I have no needs, I become aware of who needs me. It's just an automatic thing. If, if, when I realize that I have no needs, and awareness will come to me 
instinctively that I am needed. Yeah. Just like if I realize I didn't create myself, the logical follow-up conclusion is, well, then somebody, created. somebody else did. So the statement in the Torah, Ve'yosfu anovim b'simcha, the humble will gather in joy. And the Fede Kedeba says, you don't usually associate humble people with happiness. <laughs> we think humble is depressed, sekrachem, nauseous. <laughs> How is it that humble people will gather in joy? But when you stop and think about it, the humble are much happier because they don't take themselves seriously. They don't take their needs seriously. So if I am free of need, I'm liberated. So I think over here would be a good time to say the story of Reb Zusha, the famous story, which um, I'm sure you know, but I'm not sure if the listeners are aware of, that a chassid um, who was once struggling, I don't know if he was struggling with happiness or with neediness, or he, he went broke, and he asked the, a Rebbe for advice, and he was sent to Reb Zusha. So he gets to Reb Zusha, and Reb Zusha had nothing. He didn't even have a, a table or chairs. He had a, a, a leaking roof, a one-room house, and the, and the kids were barefoot, and he was didn't have anything, a job. And the Chassid asked Reb Zusha, uh, the Rebbe sent me to you to find out what was what was it he was supposed to find out? How you can be graceful in the in in the presence of suffering. Right. So it's even more than that. It's, it wasn't just he didn't have needs. Things were going against him. Right. And still he was ma- managed to be graceful and joyful. Because his attitude was? And so Rev Zusha answered, and I think this goes to the crux of what you're saying, is, why did the Rebbe send you to me? I don't need anything. I, I have everything. I have no burdens. I have... You, the Rebbe should have sent you to somebody who struggles with, with neediness. And that was the answer. The answer is that somehow, Reb Zusha figured out that joy and success and happiness and, uh, and life doesn't come or isn't influenced by the events that happen to me. And that's, I think, what you're saying over here. And that's why I brought up the story, because I think it, it illustrates it in such a, a powerful way. But then the question is, we live in 2018. We don't have faint beds anymore, fainting beds anymore. And, and we do struggle with uh, these issues of neediness. So how does a person, now that we understand that happiness doesn't come from fulfillment of needs, so how do I in my life, apply that to, and what does that, is that joy going to look like? Does it mean I'm going to be smiling and dancing or is it, does joy mean something else? What does it mean in 2018? In 2018, we are learning the hard way what the Torah has been trying to tell us all along. There's never been a more narcissistic generation and there's never been a more unhappy generation. So here's, here's the, the mystical insight. People who were prophets, Navi, if, you can, if we can locate in some physical way, where does prophecy occur in the human being? He hears a voice coming from heaven? Hope not. Right. <laughs> 
Those guys got to be locked up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a place in ourselves that is quiet. I have to interrupt because it's very funny. My son asked me, Mary asked me uh, about a week ago. He says, does Hashem wear a yarmulke? So I said to Mayor, I mean, I was busy doing something. So I just said, um, Hashem doesn't have a head. That was just my, my answer. So he said, oh, so he wears the yarmulke on his neck? <laughs> but then his follow-up question was, if he doesn't have a head, how does he hear? How does he talk to us? So I tried to ex explain the concept that the same way that we don't see Hashem, right? We, he's not visible. So Hashem talks in an invisible language. <laughs> I don't know if I said the right thing, but it seemed to kind of make a little bit of sense. His invisible talking. And when a Navi is listening to a, to a, to Hashem, it's, it's not the same voice that you hear, but somehow the Navi just knows what Hashem is saying. I don't know if I said the right thing, but is that right? Is that what the Navi's, uh, what, what is the experience of a, of a godly person listening to Hashem? First of all, uh oh, <laughs> Dabishta puts on Tulin. Right. He has a head. Yeah. But that's another subject. Yeah. Um, there is a place within us, even if you're not a Navi, there is a place within every one of us that is absolutely silent. There's no tumult. There's no noise. There's no, Peaceful. There's no static because there's no agenda. There is a part in us, if we go high enough, where the agenda hasn't started yet. Opinions, desires, needs, pulls, influences, nothing there, nothing there. That's where prophecy occurs. What happens to the non-prophet? <laughs> he can't tap into that. The, the person who's not a prophet, and I mean a non-prophet. Huh. Uh, if he does get to that quiet place, he will suddenly become concerned with, what am I doing? Or, as the, the Friedrich Kedeba says, you will suddenly remember that before you were born, you promised something. Hmm. See, are that you, happens when are you keeping your promise? 40. They have the midlife crisis. Suddenly they become prophets. <laughs> if they're lucky. Or they become just depressed. And I had a midlife crisis at 20... 25, 30, <laughs> 35, now 38. I'm okay. like, I have, I've had enough midlife crises. <laughs> so here, here's what the Torah says about our needs. You are conceived against your will. You are born against your will. You live against your will and you die against your will. That is a very depressing picture of life, isn't it? What, what, is, what is the Torah telling us? Not... Not you, you live begrudgingly and you die begrudgingly. You are conceived, born, live and die without your input. Not against your will, meaning you don't want to. You don't need to. So we don't ask to be born because we don't need to be born. In that quiet place, space, we discover something much deeper than, than profound psychological insight. 
We don't find hidden, repressed needs. We find a quietness that has no needs. Because originally, in fact, I don't need to be here. I don't ask to be born because I don't need to be born. If I can get to that place within me where I can feel that freedom, I don't need, I don't need to be here, where will my mind go? So if I'm an atheist, I'll kill myself. But if I know that there's a creator, that becomes very obvious. I'm not here because I need. The creator creates. It's his agenda. It's his project. So what is, what is the actual joy? Not, not the freedom of need. That's what allows me to be joyful. What gives me the joy is the sense of purposefulness, that I am here serving a purpose. So let's, let's bring it down to simple language. In order to be happy, you have to be grateful. People who don't know how to be grateful are never happy. So before you can be happy, you have to be grateful. Before you can be grateful, you have to have something to be grateful for. And the thing that makes us grateful in the core of our soul is knowing that we are needed, not that we have needs. That sounds so counterintuitive. Knowing, being grateful, thankful to someone else, that means I need something from them, comes from me being needed. They should be grateful to me if I'm needed. If I'm the one who's needed, why am I the one who's grateful? Or why does gratefulness happen from the fact that I am needed? Well, grateful can't come from what I need. Because if I need, I'm not grateful. Well, I'm grateful when I get what I need. Ah, that's a different story. But even then... If you get what you need, it, it doesn't really give you, make, it doesn't really produce gratitude. Real gratitude comes from getting more than you need. Otherwise, you're grateful, you just have more bear, than you deserve, right? More than you deserve. Yeah. So, what is it that we get that is free? It was not a need that needed to be fulfilled, to be needed. So actually, the creator is more needy than the creation. So the question is, how is God grateful? Yeah, was, how is he happy? Right. <laughs> I was like, is that what he just said? Yeah. So, going back to the point, if we want to get to the source of happiness... The source of happiness is, I am needed, not needy. This is developing for the first time, I think, in 2018. So let's back this up and just recap, because we've gone on a, on a little bit of a journey. So we started out talking about what is joy. Um, and then you explain that joy is a 
is a is a deep place inside where I need nothing. Okay, it's a it's a peaceful um, baseline of existence, and in fact, that baseline of existence is who we all are. We're all born with this instinct um, that we need nothing, and the only thing that we need is, is life itself, or not that we need is the only thing that we want, appreciate, we love. The, what is because you were mentioning before that uh, that the the basic instinct for life, even amongst somebody who is suicidal, still has an instinct for life. That is the core of the person and the core of happiness. Follow that up the ladder. Okay. So yeah. Why is what is the joy of being? Is, and you, so the joy of being is being needed. That your that your being is necessary. Not that your being is needy. There's no joy in that. So, the so, way so secular... just to take that, because this is practical. So the joy in being married is not that, that I get a relationship that from I my need. wife and that uh, I have love and I have a family and I have a friend and a life partner. It's that I am giving someone a life partner. I am being someone else's friend. I am being needed for somebody else. Someone else needs me. That's the joy of marriage. I am necessary. It's not what I get. It's what I give. And what I give is necessary. Right. That's, and that's why people who have everything they want will kill themselves. Because they don't feel needed. Because they're not necessary. So... In the words of, of, of the Torah, in the Torah, we rejoice over the fact that God is getting what he needs from us. And that should be an everyday experience, not a religious event. Like this guy who came for dollars by the Rebbe, he was a very simple, honest guy, and he was a kind of sour face. You know. And the Rebbe said, why the long face? And he said, the Rebbe, I, I, I haven't been good this week. I didn't put on film. And the Rebbe said, so be happy for all the other good things you did. He said, the Rebbe, this week I was very bad. I didn't do anything good. So the Rebbe said, then you should be very happy. He said, about what? He said, about the fact that you're such a bad boy and God still wants you to serve him. This really happened? That's a real story? Yeah. Wow. So the real joy doesn't come from your accomplishments, although that's pleasurable. That's just a phenomenal story, just to, to stop there a second, because it tells you that the less you have, the happier you should be. The less distraction. The Rebbe was saying, you have nothing. You, you're saying you have nothing, and you should be even happier. Hashem needs you even more. In a sense, right. So if you need somebody and they're not available, do you stop needing them? The rebellious kid. Parents don't need them anymore? Or they get all the attention. <laughs> so yes, if, if, if you're not available to God, he doesn't stop needing you. He just needs you more desperately. So I think the punchline of it is this. Narcissism is a disease. 
And every need that we take seriously, oh, but I need this, I need that, is a little chunk of narcissism. You have a lot of it, you become a narcissist. So what is life about if it's not fulfilling my needs, taking care of my needs? It's about being needed. Now, interestingly, as I dismiss my needs, because what really do I need? I didn't ask for life. I didn't ask to be born. So now that I am born, I have needs. No, they're not my needs, because I didn't ask for any of them. So God creates me dependent on food. That means I need to eat, or he needs me to eat. So it's not my idea, it's not my desire, it's not my, I, I don't want to need to eat. Yeah, but when I go to a fancy restaurant and get a nice expensive steak, that's, God doesn't need me to do that. That's me. But who created you that way? You didn't design yourself. And if you did design yourself, you probably would make yourself independent of food, not dependent on food. On the other hand, when I'm looking at your need, the same need I just dismissed in myself, like, why, you need to eat three times a day? You can skip a meal, it won't. But when I look at your need for three meals a day, that's sacred. Because that's where I'm needed. To provide for your meals is not making me needy. It makes me needed. So if I'm concerned for your needs, I'm being moral, I'm being godly, I'm being righteous, I'm being noble. So as much as I dismiss my own needs as insignificant, somebody else's needs become more significant. So the conclusion is that the source of happiness. The source of happiness means that we got to align, realign our relationships and take the me out of it and do the very same things we were always doing, but change the, um, the intention of it. In other words, when I'm providing for my family, it's not because I want to have a large family and I want to, uh, you know, be successful. And it should be that I'm providing because I want my kids, my family to have what they need. And when I shift my intention to when I'm making money, for example, or when I take a job to instead of putting more money in the bank account, the idea is I, I, my children need a father. My wife needs a husband. That, without intending to create happiness, creates the happiness. Yes, indeed. Now, if you then succeed at it, then your happiness is released, expressed. It's visible on the outside. So there are things that express cause you to express your happiness. But the happiness itself is the fact that I have a uh, significant, necessary purpose for my being here. And probably that's what it means, that whoever didn't see the joy at Simchas Beis Hasheva never saw real joy. Did they not have their own good news? Yes, but that's, that's about themselves. By, by Simchas Beis Hasheva, it wasn't about, people lost themselves, forgot themselves, transcended themselves. 
And that's why it also says that that's where you draw prophecy. So when we're told on Simcha's Torah to dance with our feet, how does that tie into all of this? Because it's not talking about other people. It's not talking about the depth of my soul. It's talking about the soles of my feet. So how does that, how do I dance with my feet? How does that become the expression of happiness? Would, did, they, did, he, did the Rebbe mean to say, hey guys, it's Simchas Torah, figure out that you're needed and then you're going to dance with your feet? Or did he mean dance with your feet and then somehow you'll figure out that you're needed? Either way, either way. But primarily, you dance with your feet because it's not about you. If it was about you, you would dance with your head. And then everybody would dance differently because everybody's different. But like you were saying, everybody can dance with their feet. Because it's not about anybody, it's about the Torah. It's Simchas Torah. It's the Torah's joy. You're just the feet. So I, I think everybody can agree, at least on some level, if I can forget about myself for an hour, I will have a very pleasant hour. That's why people drink. To forget themselves. So we've come a long way in, in that for the last hundred years, we've been going deeper and deeper into ourselves trying to find the solution. And all we're finding is murky, selfish, narcissistic crap. Trap. <laughs> do you think that's going to change? <laughs> it is changing. Why? How? How do you Because we that? can't take it. It's not, it's not doable. It's not, li you oh, can't live like this. The world's becoming even more narcissistic. I mean, the. And, and, and we can't handle it anymore. We're, we're drowning in it. It's, it's, it's suffocating us. Yeah, but even today, you look at the, at, you know, at the zeitgeist, you know, how, how, of the culture. Um, I don't want to start naming groups, etc., but where it's becoming all about my experience, my feelings. I yeah. feel like this. I feel like I'm a woman or a man, for example. Let's take that for example. And that is so ridiculous that people are fed up with it. It's, it's insane. I know. It seems to me that, it's, that, it, that, it, that every year it progresses even more. Which means it's, it's, it's going to explode. It, this cannot... You see any signs of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there's already a backlash. We can't be that sensitive, needy, you know, uh, destroyed by a microaggression. I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. Yeah. All right. So here's, here's practically how this works. You have, obviously, a human soul that is obsessed with itself. The reason it's obsessed with itself is because it's mortal. So it's afraid to die. So every... Uh, the human soul, you mean the, the body? Not the, the animal soul. soul. Yeah, the animal. Right. If we feed into that, we're going to end up in this, in this narcissistic trap. When we raise children, simple, the simple average home anywhere in the world, you tell a child, it's time to go to sleep. Go ahead. Yeah. Time to go to sleep means it's not whether you feel like going to sleep. It's not whether you think you should go to sleep. It's not whether you're in the mood to go to sleep. It's time to go to sleep. That is such a powerful statement. What do you mean it's time? 
when I'm ready, when I feel like, no, 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 bedtime. What I you, wish I understood what you were saying right now, because this is something <laughs> which I I'm, struggle with. What I'm saying is, you teach children that there is an objective reality that has nothing to do with your moods or your needs or your opinions. You don't steal. Well, what, what if I'm in the mood for stealing? No, you don't steal. That's becoming a human being. Otherwise, we're animals. So, on every level, every turn, everywhere we look, there's the process of peeling yourself away from your selfish, narcissistic devotions and finding some other need that demands your attention. And then you've, then you've grown up. Then you've become a hero. Then you've become a noble person. So could you say that that might be the reason that there are so many split families today? It's like, in other words, so many single mothers and, and so many marriages of ending in divorce. Because it wasn't just that they weren't happy. The reason they weren't happy is because they didn't, they, they weren't making themselves needed. They couldn't find room for the other in their existence. So here's what we need to do. We're not going to become prophets. We're not all going to enter into that quiet space and stay there. But when we feel a little oppressed by our needs, it is very helpful to remember, I don't really need it. I don't really need this. It's not true that my most important, most urgent need is to eat. No, it's not. It's not. Or money, or power, or fame, or whatever. As much as I would like it, I don't really need it. So I can't get religious about it, or sanctum. How dare you deny me my... Oh, come on, get off. Get off it. So, although you're going to have those feelings, because we're humans, at least don't take them so seriously. So, if you find yourself in the grip of one of these miserable moods because you didn't get what you think you should have or what you think you need or whatever, it's very helpful to know that in the, in, in the final analysis, I don't really need it. Not I should sacrifice it. You know, you can only sacrifice so much before you get a little resentful. It's not sacrifice. I don't really need it. And here's a perfect example. There are people today, 2018, who are worth, financially, $100 billion. If they gave away $50 billion, would that feel like a sacrifice? I don't know what it would feel like to them, but, but one of the amazing things that we're seeing is they do have this billionaire's club where they're committing to give away 99% of their worth. They're desperate to give it away. Why? Because it is so obvious. It's so obvious. A hundred billion dollars could not be meant for you. There's no way you can convince yourself that you need it. Right. So yes, it's yours. Absolutely, legally. If somebody takes even a single dollar, they're stealing and they should be locked up. Oh, he'll never miss it. That's not the point. 
you're stealing because it belongs to him. And yet he feels it belongs to me, but it can't have been meant for me. Can't. So the sooner I give it away, the more normal I'm going to feel. If now we can apply that to everything else in our lives, you have a lot of information. It's all for you. You have a lot of energy. It's all for you. You have a lot of love so that you can love yourself. That's twisted. That's like a guy who has a hundred billion dollars and he keeps it under his mattress. <laughs> you say, yeah. what are you doing with that? He says, I'm not doing it. I'm keeping it. It's mine. Yeah, but you're crazy. Keeping it under your mattress? You have love and, and you're using it to love yourself? That's like keeping your money under a mattress. You're a miser. This is not life. Yeah, it's fascinating because uh, we're going to we better close up soon. We're running out of time. But uh, I wrote a paper for the Siddha Supplied competition by Rabbi Simon Jacobson. And I had discussed it with you. And we were talking about what does music mean in a Dirabatachtonim world? What does love mean in a Dirabatachtonim world? In other words, in a world where we're really hitting that essence. What does uh, addiction mean? Or, 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 or treatment from addiction mean in, in that kind of a world? What does art mean? And the conclusion was that it has to be for, for a bigger purpose for someone else. So even in music, which I'm a musician, so I, 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 there's so many different disciplines. I can play music, I can study music, and each of those are really getting involved in the in the disciplines of music. But the true expression of music is to give music to others and to help other people, to, to change the way that people feel or think or influence other people through the music. And I think it, it fits in right in with what we're saying here, that true happiness and true living always has to be about the other guy. In fact, the whole conversation about happiness, straight away, we started, we started off on the left foot because we're, we're trying to figure out how do we achieve happiness when there is no way to achieve happiness because if you're looking for that happiness, it'll always prove elusive. So honestly, the perhaps the topic of this conversation shouldn't be how do we achieve happiness, but rather how do we live? By the way, the byproduct of living, or rather the baseline of living, is pure happiness. And that's why we didn't go into how to be happy. We went into what does happiness mean? Yeah, I was getting a bit annoyed with you. I was like, come on, tell me how to be happy. Let's get practical. <laughs> but the answer is that, that it's, uh, it's not about being happy. It's about giving to others, about living. And, by, and giving to Hashem as well. When we do the mitzvahs, um, realizing that this isn't about, I'm not putting out tefillin for my own spiritual well-being, although it is that. You're doing it because uh, somehow you need it. Don't know how or why. But God needs you to do that for, for whatever reason it is. And when we live like that, that's called living. That's the real baseline of living, whether it's in Torah mitzvahs, whether in our relationships with our kids or business partners or children. Um, that's what living is, and that's what brings the happiness. So why didn't I get all annoyed that I, this terrible day happened to me yesterday? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what the answer is, but maybe... Uh, perhaps uh, it, it didn't bother me so much because, I don't know, ge generally things don't bother me so much. I'm not sure why. Maybe I'm on the right track. 
you certainly <laughs> you certainly uh, blessed with that. Yeah, because it is a blessing. There well, are people who are just naturally buoyant and bubbly, and and you don't really see much reason for them to be that happy. Like, right. what are you so happy about? Right, and and that's the real happiness. So, a guy who says, for example, uh, "I was suicidal, but now I found a reason to live." Oh, you're still suicidal. <laughs> you need a reason. That's pretty flimsy. You shouldn't need a reason. Yeah, and, and one of the slippery slopes is that maybe the reason he found to live is that he, the that he felt he was needed, but that was his need. His need was to be needed, and that's not what it's all about. But I think we could just go another hour on that. <laughs> yeah, it's not my reason. It's somebody else's reason. Right. Somebody needs me. So uh, the perfect example, um, I think I don't know if I mentioned that to you. His father calls me from Israel that his 12-year-old daughter is convinced that God is angry at her, and she's all depressed. And nothing helped. Everybody talked to her. Everybody tried. He puts her on the phone. So I said to her, you, God is angry at you? She says, yeah. I said, I'm so jealous. How did you become so important? You can get God angry? You? You're 12 years old. You can do something to get God angry? Wow. You are so important <laughs> to him. So even when God is angry at us, it's like, what? So the focus being on him, which is what Chassidus basically does, all of Chassidus. All of Chassidus basically says, you know, God needs nothing except you. And you know how complete and total his infinity removes him from any need whatsoever. And he just, you know, that the Hezbedim, the expl explanations, he can't be touched, he can't be bothered, he can't be diminished, he can't be increased, he can't be, and, and, and the violation, Nisi, he can't be changed, and he can't be. And the point of that being, and this God who needs absolutely nothing needs you. And you know how much he needs you? <laughs> and it goes on and on and on. It's on the highest level, the infinite level. That he needs you absolutely. And everything else, he does not need at all. It doesn't affect him. It doesn't touch him. It doesn't. So it's like, it's like saying, you're the only thing in the world for me. God is saying. And then, of course, he expects us to say the same to him. Why do we have that feeling? Because that's how he feels towards us. The God who has no needs needs you absolutely. So where do my needs come in? I know we're out of time and I just need to ask. It's a yes or no question because we really have to wrap up. Is God happy? No. Really? Let's leave that for another time. Thank you very much and join us again next time. We'll see you. All the very best.
If you want to support It's Good to Know in the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. This is the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, changing your life for the better, one idea at a time. Like it, share it, and leave us a review. Tune in next week for more ideas that change the world. Let's